0: The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit.
1: Hello, and welcome to Winning on Main Street. I'm Gordon Henry. Thanks for joining us. The American economy is driven by small business, local business people who want to work for themselves and build something successful. And today, we're lucky enough to have with us Jana Bailey, who is the CEO of FranNet, the association that covers the franchise industry with literally hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs who look to them for guidance and support as they build their franchise uh, entrepreneurial businesses. So it's going to be a fascinating discussion. Uh, hear a little bit about her and uh, uh, insights on the franchise industry. So welcome, Jana.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me this morning.
1: It is great to have you, and uh, you are, I guess, in Louisville, Kentucky today, yeah?
2: Yes, I am. That's our headquarters.
1: All right. Well, um, it's great to uh, meet you. I'm, I'm really interested in the whole franchise industry. It supports so many jobs. It's such an important component of the United States economy, um, we've heard a little bit th- about this uh, before we uh, spoke with Lauren Fisher a few weeks ago, who heads up Fish Consulting, who uh, is very involved in the franchise industry, and I'm excited to hear more today. Um, so I thought, Janet, it would be really helpful for us to just learn a little bit first about you. Um, you've had an interesting career and uh, rose to the you know, heights of the franchise industry. How did you get started and how did you get where you are today?
2: Well, looking back, you wonder how any of those roads actually led here. But I started out in banking in a small town in western Kentucky, Paducah, and spent a total of 18 years in the banking industry. It actually moved me to Louisville eventually, and I worked for PNC Bank. I was in the commercial lending sector of the banking industry, working with small businesses for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, After 18 years in banking, I found myself just really burned out and there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions and the constant change. And so I sat down one weekend and did some soul searching about, you know, what's next? What do I enjoy doing? started a consulting and public speaking company and did that for about two and a half years and one of my clients was the fantastic sam's regional owner here in louisville and approached me about taking over um running the operation side of his regional activities. He had a five state region and uh, I did that for six and a half years and then went to work for corporate Fantastic Sam's on their team. I wound up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area doing a turnaround on a Texas region. I had an office in Dallas and an office in Houston and was there for almost three years when um, Fran made the call that my name had been submitted as a candidate for their new newly formed organization. They had just bought out the founder and were looking for a president and COO at that time. And um, they started out with five candidates and I surfaced with the job a few months later. So I've been here. It'll be 14 years in August.
1: Great, great story. Well, it's... uh it's a, it's a great business model, the franchise uh, industry, and uh, obviously it's worked for you and, and it's worked for so many others. So just to start talking about the franchise industry, um, you know, many of our listeners are, are entrepreneurs or small business people themselves, but not necessarily franchises. So what do you see as the key differential between, you know, if I wanted to start a franchise uh, business versus I'm going to start just my own Uh, independent business?
2: Great question. And it really is one of the things that attracted me to the industry was that difference because remember sitting in that banker's seat deciding about loans, the scariest words that could come from a new client was, I've got this great idea and I want to start a business because Mm -hmm. that is the highest failure rate of any way you can go into business. Um, And the reason that franchising is a better option for a lot of people is most people aren't aware of how much goes into the day-to-day running of a business. I used to say, you don't know what you don't know. And that was what was so scary. Because even myself, when I left banking and started my little consulting firm, and I've often said I'd be a much better banker now than I was then, I just hadn't had to deal with some of those decisions because I had worked in one area and, you know, somebody else took care of HR and somebody else took care of ordering supplies and marketing decisions. And all of a sudden I found myself with that full gamut of decisions in areas that I really had no expertise in franchising you've got that back office support in terms of the franchise headquarters. And we often say you're in business by yourself, uh, for yourself, but not by yourself because you do have someone at headquarters you can call to get support in areas. And the real beauty and success story of franchising is based on having a process to follow. Good franchisors lay out the roadmap for you, and they've already had the bumps in the road smoothed out and figured out best practices. So I've seen many a small business person sit at my desk and, and just overwhelmed with some decision they made that, that wasn't the right one and literally could have put them in bankruptcy. Franchising, somebody else has already figured out which avenues to take and which to avoid.
1: Right. There's a business model that's worked.
2: Exactly. And that's the real key to success.
1: Right. So if I were an entrepreneur who was making decision now, uh, I'm going to either go into franchising or I'm going to go into building my own business. And I'm thinking about the risk reward of those two options. Mm -hmm. You feel that uh, franchising is probably uh, a very attractive road, I assume. Um, How do you put that in dollars and cents terms?
2: Well, I I don't know so much. The dollars and cents, I can tell you, it depends on the individual okay. and if you've got a great idea, a unique idea and you've done your homework in terms of competition and you've put together a good set of projections. And, and by that, I mean, I want to see best case, worst case, and most probable case. You've really thought through all the issues and hopefully you've either been to a small business development office for guidance or a score counselor for guidance yep. And, and yep. putting that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's what you should do if that's your passion and and you're just you know driven to do that if you don't have that kind of passion to a particular idea then I would say explore franchising and the many options that are there. Um, You know, we've got over 3,800 different concepts within our industry. And most Hmm. people think, well, it's all fast food. And that's just not the case. Um, Also, most people think it's a million dollars. And again, that's not the case. There are service-based industries that you could get in for under $100,000, some even under $50,000. So it's... Deciding what's driving you. If it's this, I just want to be in business for myself, then franchising may be an option. Um, I especially think back to the people who would sit down at my desk and say, You know, I really want to be in business for myself. Jana, what do you recommend? <laughs> and it'd be like, Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when they need to go look at other things because obviously they don't have that one idea or one passion that's driving them. And franchising has a lot of options.
1: And, and would you say, uh, this is my perception, and I uh, may be wrong, that if you're an individual entrepreneur building your own business, you have that great idea, let's say. The risk, or I should say the reward op- opportunity may be really high. We've all heard success stories of people who have built fantastically successful businesses. But the risk is also high because it's unproven. And exactly. it seems like in contrast with the franchise, I don't know, the opportunity may be pretty big there too, uh, but the risk is lower, right? It
2: does lower the risk. And again, I think the biggest thing that lowers the risk is it's already been proven. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're a Bill Gates, I'm, I'm glad Bill Gates didn't go to the franchise route. You know, he, he <laughs> would have not had that upside potential. But for the majority of people, that's just not going to be the case. Yeah. And um, instead, we see a lot of, Look around your communities right now. The mom and pop businesses were devastated during the pandemic. Now, I'm not going to tell you there aren't some franchises that were hit hard, too. But the biggest difference is the franchise owner had a support system behind them that was quickly addressing how to apply for the PPP loans, what is available to you in terms of support and help. They're helping with the marketing. They're helping with the messaging. They're making sure, if possible, your system is declared an essential service so you can stay in business. That's what the franchise industry brought. And and a lot of, I've got some friends that are um, mom and pop operators, and they were paralyzed for a bit. You know, I was trying to funnel information to them as I could, but the reality was they were just overwhelmed. Um, And the franchise industry rallied together, not only at the individual franchise level, but the IFA, the International Franchise Association, quickly gathered the troops and started providing information out. And um, that, that's powerful when you're going through something like we've been through the last few months.
1: Yeah, that's huge. I, I hadn't heard uh, that, you know, to that level that, that there's been so much support. That's great. Um, and so have there been a lot of franchises or, or franchisees who've, um, you know, failed during this period or, or, or the statistics are, are better?
2: Well, we don't have all the information yet because, you know, a lot of the businesses are just starting to reopen. Mm. Um, we do a lot of work with businesses that I do call the essential services. Um, FranNet has kind of, been, we've been in business 32 years and the joke for years was we, we help you find the successful businesses that happen not to be real sexy or attractive, but they're mm. the practical businesses. Mm. and those have continued to operate. Um, we try our best at FranNet. We turn down over a hundred concepts a year that want to work with us. And we're trying to weed out things that I think are either a fad or that they're not underpinned as tightly as I would like to see a concept. Uh, balance sheets not strong for the parent, those kind of things. So it's gonna depend on the franchise. And then it's going to depend, obviously, on the part of the country you're in, how quickly you were able to reopen. Were you an essential service that kept operating through the crisis? And at the end of the day, how well capitalized was your business? Did you have a nice cash reserve? Unfortunately, what we heard was the average small business had less than 30 days of excess cash. Yep. You know, that that just goes to show the nature of small business people. They bootstrap it. Yeah. And um, this was not a time to be dependent on your bootstraps. You needed a little deeper pockets. Yeah. So I, I don't think we've heard all of the um, downfall. We're, we're going to hear it as people come back and either they, they're not able to ramp up as quick as they had hoped that customers don't return as quick as they had hoped. There's still going to be some some fallout.
1: Right, right. Um, Fascinating. Um, You know, I think I think uh, I I heard from maybe it was when we were speaking to Lauren Fisher. um, The service businesses, uh, you know, the the ones who come and do your plumbing or roofing or deck or lawn repair or pool install or you know those kinds of businesses uh, have done okay. Uh, In fact, some are doing quite well because people are at home looking around their house saying, "I need to fix this. I need to fix that." the restaurants, obviously, as we all know, uh, have been hurt. But I imagine uh, at least those big chain franchise restaurants have fared better for all the reasons you said. The model's there, the support's there, the brand is there. And so even if they took a, a bit of a hit on the chin, they're probably managing through. Is that is that correct? Is that a correct
2: perception? very true and you know if they already had drive-through services mm. they were more prepared to ramp up and you know where the franchises really came in and helped was adjusting that menu to the most uh, commonly ordered items you know if you've gone through a drive-through lately you'll notice it's a modified menu mm. I think the quick serve restaurants or the go in and be seated they had a tougher time trying to do that pivot to carry out um, I know my husband and I tried to eat out on a pretty regular basis you know and, and we called it our date night we, we'd go pick up our food and sit on the back end of the explorer and um, pretend we were on a date but <laughs> we did find that a lot of the qsrs like we got our food cold or you know it, so they were having a tougher time adjust adjusting yes. yeah. whereas the the restaurants um the fast food that's what they do um yeah. So it, it depended on the model. It depended on the type of, of food mm. and how adaptable that could be. We went to for a sure. PF Chang's and, you know, the food was great, no problem. But then you go to another type of concept and, and it was kind of a mess. So
1: I just want to do a check for what, what is QSR?
2: Quick serve restaurant. So if you think in terms of a Chili's or a Cheddar's or a Texas Roadhouse, those would be not fine dining, but more of get in, you know, get your food and and get out.
1: I hear you. Okay. All right. So tell us now, uh, what does FranNet do? What what is FranNet's role in this whole franchise
2: ecosystem? Well, we are, uh, in effect, the executive recruiter high-level franchise companies. We've also been compared to the Match.com of franchising. (laughs) Um, I love it. Yeah, because what we do, we take the brands and, and, you know, as I said, we turn down about a hundred a year and for a variety of reasons. But when we're looking at a brand, we're looking at is this a good fit for the majority of our clients? Most of our clients aren't coming in looking for a million dollar plus investment. So that kind of rules out hotels and a lot of QSR quick serve restaurants because they are a million dollars plus. We don't do much in fast food at all. Um, the little bit of food we do is I call it simple food where you know they go in and assemble it in front of you. There's not a lot of back restaurant uh, kitchen work. But we mostly um, specialize in service-based, and that can be business-to-business um, business services, business-to-consumer services. Um, but when we're interviewing them, I'm finding out, who are you looking for? You know, If you were the CEO of one of those companies, I would say to you, Gordon, tell me what your ideal franchisee looks like. What was their background? What is the skill set they bring that is so critical? So we do a really thorough list of of building this ideal franchisee. And then as we work with clients, we're doing kind of the reverse of that with them. I would be saying, okay, Gordon, tell me, um, do you like to work from home? Do you prefer an office or retail setting, employees? Are you okay with, you know, several or do you prefer a small team or really you don't want employees at all? Do you want blue collar, white collar? Does it matter? Um, How about managing teenagers? You know, for me, that's in me running the other way. But you've got a lot of people that that is their passion. So you find out all these things. And then tell me about your skill sets. Now tell me about your budget, your risk tolerance. Um, You know, what's your goal for this 5, 10, 15 years down? And the whole time you're talking and we're gathering this, I'm taking this list of franchises that we have and beginning to narrow it down to match up with what you're telling me. And at the end of our process, I would then have three to four concepts that I would like for you to meet. And I would ask you to please agree to an initial phone call Mm -hmm. and learn more about them. Don't rule them out on, eh, that doesn't sound like something I'd want to do talk to them, find out what the owner does, get more information. And then we help you all the way through the process of due diligence. We give you the kind of questions you should be asking. We give you a list of be sure to look at these things in the franchise disclosure document. Um, The questions you should ask franchisees in that system to to be sure you know what you're getting into. Mm. And each step along the way, we're helping you close a file. That's not it. And elevate another. And we're helping you get to a yes or a no on each of those concepts. So at the end of the day, we hope to have that really good match for you where you're going to spend the next 10 years or so of your career making money and doing something you love.
1: Interesting. And then the match process, the match.com process, as you just said, <clears throat> it's driven more by the franchisee or the I guess the would-be franchisee who's interested in finding out about the selection of franchises they could open and them coming to you mm-hmm. um, to determine which is the best fit for them. It's not driven the other way. It's not franchise boars saying let's recruit franchisees or, or, or is it's it both? both.
2: It's both. Both. We, both. We always say we have two customers. Okay. or is our customer and we're mm-hmm. trying to help them, bring in the very best candidates and then our clients and we're trying to help them be sure they're looking at the very best franchises for their needs and and budget and comfort zones.
1: Okay so you you have both constituents and you help both find each other. Yep. So you really are a matchmaker. We really are. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Great. Uh, This is fantastic. I'm I'm excited to to learn more. Um, We're going to just jump to a break real quick, hear a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back.
0: This episode of Winning on Main Street is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that includes everything small business owners need to meet their customers' expectations. Thrive's award-winning and fully mobile interface delivers technology previously reserved for big business to the fingertips of small business owners nationwide. Thrive's built specifically for small business, but there's nothing small about what it can do. Thrive handles your entire customer experience, helping business owners reach more customers, stay organized, get paid faster, and generate online reviews, all from a single device or screen. To learn more about Thrive, visit winningonmainstreet.com and click on get a demo. When it comes to software to run your business, there's no comparison. Check out Thrive today. We're back
1: with Jana Bailey, the CEO of FranNet, having a fascinating discussion about the world of franchising, how you can get into franchising, how you make money in franchising, how you find the right franchise. Jana, it's just an amazing wealth of information. So, Jana, welcome back. Um, Thank you. Does it require experience? Let's say I think this is for me. I'm, an, I'm a would-be entrepreneur. This sounds really exciting. I've not, never done any of this stuff before. I just have a dream and maybe a few bucks in my pocket. Is this, does this require experience?
2: Not at all. And that's the other beauty of franchising. Um, I'll go back to my days in the hair care concept. We did not want hairstylists as owners for the most part. And the reason is, we wanted, we wanted business people. If I had a hairstylist as an owner, and I did in, my, in some of my regions, and I would go in to visit with them, guess where I would find them? Right behind the, hair, or the chair, cutting hair, coloring hair. And while they're doing that, what they're not doing is marketing, recruiting new stylists, helping train those newer people that have come on, developing a manager, all of the things an owner should be doing. So as we tell our candidates, the franchisor will teach you what you need to know about the industry. What they're looking for is people with good, solid business type skills that they bring. Do you have leadership skills? You're good at managing people, motivating a team. Maybe you're good at sales, being out in your community and networking. Depending on the franchise, different skill sets are more heavily needed. Um, So we try to match those up and make sure it is. But the the last thing you need is experience in that specific franchise.
1: Okay. And... Are the are the franchisors um, uh, actively recruiting franchisees? Um, you know, you said before you're a matchmaker. Um, you know, are they are they somehow s- able to seek out uh, the franchise the would be franchisees? I know you do it, but do they have other means that they go out and find people?
2: Yes, typically, and and I you know do a lot of speaking in the industry. We are we should be. One of the tools that they're using mm. for candidate development and rec- you know recruiting, um, because we're fishing in different ponds. Mm. A lot of times, um, well, a good example, we're here in Louisville, and so is Papa John's and Yum Brands, and we don't work with either one of them. Hmm. And one of the reasons is they don't need the services of a company like FranNet. They have long waiting lists of existing franchisees that want to buy a second, or a third, or a fourth. They also have waiting lists of people who just say, hey, that looks like a good business, I want to get in it. So we tend to work with franchises who aren't as sexy, don't have the, um, uh, curb appeal maybe that, that others do. So think about mosquito hunters or mosquito Joe, or, you know, um, service brand type yesterday, I had Serta pro, uh, on the call with me and, you know, then i we do work with companies that are, restoration services. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I've always wanted to own a restoration company. Mm -hmm. But then when they start looking at the unit economics and the money, the return on their investment, as well as the role of the owner, that may be the perfect fit for them. And you might have never found that had it not been for a FranNet type service. Um, Probably 85% of our clients would tell us we guided them and helped them find a business they would have never, never found on their own.
1: Yep, yep, really good point. Um, Yeah, I I think we all grew up wanting to play center field for the Yankees or something like that, but most of us didn't make it there. you mentioned a uh, second or third or fourth unit. So do most of these franchisees start out with one and, and the ones who are good and successful and make money, they end up owning more? Is that is that a typical uh, road?
2: Well, it, it depends on the brand and the model, because some models, um, let's take a Great Clips Haircuttery, for for example, Great Clips. Mm-hmm. Their model is you buy three mm-hmm. and you get those three up and running and you, know, you get one up and running, then the second, then the third, then you might buy a package of three more. Um, other concepts for example, Molly Maids, Maid Service, they are what we call a scalable franchise. So you open your business, you buy so many of those cute little peak cars, and you hire so many people, and you build. And then as your client base builds and demands, you buy more cars, hire more people, and you keep doing that. So it's not necessary to buy a second and a third, you're scaling within your existing territory. Okay. So. Depends on the model.
1: Right. right.
2: But but good franchisees expand one way or the other because a lot of them right. will, will determine, you know, hey, I, I figured this out. So it's a lot easier to do that second or that third.
1: How successful can a franchisee be? I mean, I just have, not being in the industry myself, I mean, do people make, you know, six figures, seven figures? I mean, how, how, how? How much money could a what would be you know somebody who's thinking big what 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 can they expect?
2: Well, um, I'll I'll tell you a little secret about our industry. There's something called an earnings claim that Mm. is illegal, and what that means now within the franchise disclosure document, they can give you a range of income for different segment that has to be very very carefully detailed because you don't want the old uh, slap on the back i'll make you a millionaire kind of sales process yeah. so it's yeah. very we are a regulated industry we're re- regulated by the federal trade commission huh. so um there is a, a lot of disclosures that go on. And early on in this, this industry, I was told, unless I looked really good in orange and wanted my retirement to be provided by the <laughs> state, I should avoid earnings claims. But with that said, I will tell you the majority of our clients are looking to replace a six figure income. Okay. So that is one of the qualifiers we're working off of when we're screening companies that, that we bring in. And I can also say I have seen several very successful franchisees in different types of companies that are making seven figure incomes. So it depends. And that's part of that due diligence and finding out and talking to people that are in that system. And that's one of the hard questions. You know, how much money am I able to make? And they'll be honest with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um- just a few minutes left, so I have just a couple of closing questions for you. Um, what's hot right now in franchising? Uh, like you said before, burgers and fries and sandwiches uh, is probably what jumps to mind when people think about franchises. Uh, you know, some of the long-standing ones, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, but also the newer ones like Panera Bread. Uh, but as I think you indicated, there's many, many franchises and spaces people probably aren't even thinking about okay. like those home services ones. So what's what's hot and new right now?
2: Well, I'll answer pre-COVID and post-COVID. <laughs>
1: um,
2: so pre-pandemic, um, and I think we're going to see a return to it. A lot of boutique fitness was very, very hot. I think um, one of the, the thing, both pre and post, is anything to do with senior care. In terms of we aging baby boomers, you know, I've got to raise my hand on that. Um, (laughs) We're getting services at home that we used to be able to do ourselves, whether it's yard service or house cleaning or, you know, like for my mother, maybe modifications to her home so she can stay in it longer. Mm. Um, That is a huge growth segment. We've known it was coming because of the whole baby boomers coming through the system. We've impacted everything every stage of our lives so that's that is huge i mean it really really is and every kind of service related to helping a senior is 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 very hot Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, when we look at the millennials and the things they're interested in, they seem to have much more of a social conscious and want to do things that are making a difference. Um, so they're looking for that in these concepts and whether it's helping individuals or helping a community, um, franchises that tend to allow that or, um, contribute to that are very interesting to them. So, uh, it may be, like I said, a health concept, mm. a, um, uh, and it can also be a senior care where they're helping elderly people. Sure. So those things post COVID anything that was, classified an essential service we're seeing a lot more interest because people are saying okay this happened maybe it'll never happen again but maybe it's going to come back in the fall or the Mm -hmm. spring and how do I make sure my business is the least impacted how can I minimize my risk and I tell people you know if you're looking if that's your biggest concern then let's look at those businesses that stayed open this entire time
1: yep Great stuff. Um, so just to wind this down, Jana, um, you, you've got, a, I think, a really interesting perspective on the economy, on business broadly. Um, as you look ahead, uh, as we all, you know, we're all trying to guess how's, how's the country going to do over the next six or 12 months? How's the economy going to do over the next six or 12 months? Is Are things really rebounding? Are things really opening up? As you said, is there going to be another second wave? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but if you did, Um, What's your what's your feeling? What are you hearing uh, about how things are going? You know, this next second half of 2020 and into 21.
2: Well, I'll, I'll start with what I know. I know that small business people are extremely resilient. I know that the franchise industry has rebounded extremely strong from prior crisis, whether it was the Great Recession, Mm -hmm. 9-11, you know, all of those times when we felt like our world was ending as we knew it. Um, Franchising always comes out ahead. There are going to be more access to A-grade lease facilities you know, spaces in these centers, because some companies aren't gonna make it. So that's gonna make it more attractive for people going into business. Um, I think the leasing costs are gonna be down. Obviously, one of the challenge small business people have had the last several years has been employees. Everybody was employed. Well, that's not the case right now. So that is good for business people. They've got a nice pool to choose from. I, Don't think that um, jumping into anything speculative would be a good idea. I would definitely look for tried and true uh, business concepts. And as I go back to my banker days, be sure that financial statement of that parent company is solid Mm -hmm. and they've got the war chest to weather the storms that may come and they can offer the support. Um, I think we're gonna come back and come back strong. I'm just not sure if it's going to be fourth quarter this year or first quarter of next year. A lot's going to depend on the vaccine. If we get a vaccine, I think we're going to see a big, big rebound quickly. I think a lot of people are in a holding pattern right now. And, um, you know, our our thing is with business, a lot of times this is the time to take advantage of those opportunities while everybody else is paralyzed. So you're going to see some of both.
1: Excellent point. Well, this has been great, Jana. I have really enjoyed having you on the show. You uh, just have a, a interesting career, and franchising is just such a fascinating space. Uh, I've spent most of my career in the independent small business space, and learning more now about franchising and uh, what a, what a, a interesting world. And as I said at the beginning, you know, so great how many people it employs and Uh, how it's been able to help grow the US economy. So uh, thank you for what you do. You play a really interesting role in this whole ecosystem of franchising between the franchisor and the franchisee. So thank you for your time today uh, and joining us on Winning on Main Street.
2: Thank you so much. I've appreciated it. And it was fun to, to visit with you.
1: So this is Gordon Henry. This is Winning on Main Street. Each week we try to speak with uh, entrepreneurs as well as people who are in the ecosystem of entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial success in the United States. And this has been Jana Bailey speaking with us, who's the CEO of FranNet. Thanks. And we'll look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye now.